welcome to Houghton Wesleyan Church. Like the psalmist, we say, it's good to be in the house of the Lord, and it's good to see you here. Please stand with me as we read the call to worship responsibly. Let us seek the Lord with all our hearts. Let us not stray from his commands. Praise be to the Lord. O oh, teach us your decrees. We meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. We will delight in your decrees. We will not neglect your word. Let's pray. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. We come to the sanctuary to remember that, to remember your majesty, to remember our need to worship you. Lord, help us to open ourselves to you today, that our hearts would welcome you in your immensity and your love and your care. Help us to know your constant love for us, whether we come today with joyful hearts or with heavy hearts. Teach us to worship you in every mode. Meet with us in this hour. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Continue our worship.
Amen. We are here to worship the high king of heaven, and we're glad that you're a part of this gathering. Before you're seated, take a moment, share a word of peace, a word of grace, and greeting to others who are here today in worship. It's a great joy to come together and worship, and uh, what a beautiful Sunday for us to gather. There are just a few things I want to highlight in the life of the church. Today, from 5 to 5.30, we're inviting you to come back here to Sanctuary to join in a corporate time of prayer. We're going to, just for that half an hour, we're going to be uh, sort of somewhat of a response to the sermon this morning and the ideas of being intercessors and praying for each other. But uh, we're going to gather here in the Sanctuary for, from 5 to 5.30 um, to as we you know we go through the, the weeks of the prayer vigil and we're most of the time individuals praying in the room or at least uh, maybe couples families or different groups but this is an opportunity for us to join our prayers together this afternoon from five to five thirty next Sunday morning we gather for worship again at eight twenty nine forty and eleven and note that next Sunday is the last Sunday to drop off your box for Operation Christmas Child uh, there are also a couple of inserts in your bulletin. Uh, one about the food pantry. Two weeks from today will, is our annual food collection, and it's a great day as uh, we bring in a lot of things for the food pantry. The, the cupboards are bare. Uh, what is, is it? I think it's Mother Hubbard, right, who had uh, bare cupboards, and that's the way it is. Um, so if there's anything that you might be able to bring uh, immediately, that would be greatly appreciated. We are helping a lot of families right now, and I don't see that uh, receding much over the next few weeks and months. So any help you can give would be greatly appreciated. And also in two weeks, we'll be, we will be collecting the Faith Promise cards. And hopefully you're praying about that, asking God what you to give, what God would want you to give. And just as a, a means of encouragement and, uh, and excitement to see what God can do, we've, there's an insert in your bulletin with just a few stories of people from our congregation who last year uh, stepped out in faith at various levels and sensed God doing some great things. And hopefully that will encourage you as a part as you think through what God may want you to do in your step of faith. Good morning. Uh, When I read Pastor... Wes's email uh, asking me if I'd like to take part in this opportunity here. My first reaction was, nah, I don't have anything to say. But I did decide I better sleep on it and ask for direction. And sure enough, the next morning I had two pretty clear thoughts. So here I am, not comfortable, but willing. Uh, God reminded me that I do say pretty often that I value taking a turn and pitching in. Um, So I guess this is a chance to do that. Over seven years ago, I was introduced to a centering prayer practice. Through daily practice in this particular means of prayer, I learned to be quiet and consent to God's presence. I think this has made a dramatic change in my prayer life and hopefully in me as a person. That prayer of quiet informs my other prayers, 
whether they're thanks or confession or intercession. So to use the prayer room really hasn't been different for me, and I tend to look at it as a luxury of a whole hour to pray without distractions or that nagging feeling I should be doing something else. I uh, participate in a Moms in Touch prayer group, and we have used the prayer room a couple times together as a group, and we're going to do it again this next week. Because it's an organization, we use a prescribed format of prayer, and I think we, we feel like the hour helps us to focus, um, and it's been very precious to us to do it in that way. But the thing that I think I'm supposed to say about my experience of using the prayer room is this. It is a chance to publicly be part of the kingdom of God, to participate in the body of Christ. The vigil um, is kind of a tangible means of taking my turn or showing up. I get to be part of something bigger, a common purpose, even if my part is just really tiny. Um, And that leads me to the second thought that I feel like God gave me. He reminded me of a poem that I learned in the 60s from a a production that was done at the college called Heaven's Sake. For Heaven's Sake, excuse me. This poem is by Helen Cromer, and it uh, pretty much encapsulates what it means to me to be one of the prayers. A drop in the bucket is only a drop, a minor and moist detail, for a drop can't change the color or taste in a 10-quart watering pail. But if the drop has the color of love or the taste of tears divine, one drop dropped into the vessel of life can turn the water to wine. Thank you, Sally. I do want to encourage you to take advantage of the opportunities to to go to the prayer room. Uh, You can sign up today after the service uh, in the foyer online anytime. We have a little issues this week with the reservation, online reservations, but I think we have solved that problem. So uh, it's an opportunity for us to, uh, to intensely pray together over these weeks, and, and we've already heard stories of God doing some great things in the first week, and I, I believe and I know he wants to do more and more in the weeks to come, in us individually and in us corporately, and as he develops us into people who pray people who love to pray and uh, people who realize that the power of God in our lives is through prayer. So I'm going to encourage you to be a part of the prayer vigil and to add your prayers to those of others.
Old Testament reading is from Numbers 14, verses 1 to 19. It's on page 143 in the Pew Bibles. I'll be reading from the TNIV. Numbers 14, 1 to 19. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. The Lord said to Moses, How long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me, in spite of all the signs I have performed among them? I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them, but I will make you into a nation greater and stronger than they. Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear about it, but your power you brought these people up from among them, and they will tell the inhabitants of this land about it. They have already heard that you, Lord, are the Lord of these people, and that they have seen, and that you, Lord, have been seen face to face that your cloud stays over them, and that you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. If you put these people to death all at one time, the nations who have heard this report about you will say, the Lord was not able to bring these people into the land he promised them on oath, so he slaughtered them in the wilderness. Now may the Lord's strength be displayed just as you have declared. The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. In accordance with your great love, forgive the sin of these people, just as you have pardoned them from the time they left Egypt until now. This is the word of the Lord. Stand together, we'll sing the doxology as the ushers come forward. Let's pray. 
Lord our God, we thank you for all the ways that you have blessed us. And we give back to you out of a sense of gratitude for the many, many ways that you're involved in our lives. And pray that you would use our gifts for the furtherance of your work in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. We have the opportunity now to join our prayers together. If you would like to use the altar as a place where you come and pray, I invite you to join me. Most gracious, loving, merciful, and faithful Heavenly Father, we are here because you love us. Any expression of love that we may give toward you or toward others begins and only begins in your love for us. And we come today to rejoice that though you are the almighty one, you desire relationship with us. And it's clear that you go to pretty extreme lengths to make the desire for relationship real. Father, today we come with a lot of 
things in our minds, a lot of burdens and concerns, but first of all, we want to thank you for the ways in which you have blessed us, for the ways in which you've blessed this world. Thank you for family and friends that inspire us. Thank you for the ability to to work and to accomplish things. Thank you for this world in which we see you at work despite the opposition of the enemy. Thank you for the freedoms that we enjoy in this country. Thank you for all of your blessings. More than anything, we thank you for Jesus Christ, for the gift of your Son through whom salvation is offered to us. Father, we pray that you will hear our prayers of thanksgiving and adoration. And may they please you. Father, we also pray for the burdens and the concerns of this world. We think of the millions of people who, who even this day do not have food to eat or water to drink, a safe place to sleep and live. We ask, Father, that you will work miraculously for the people who are in such great need. We pray for the people of this world that are most vulnerable to the work of the evil one. And we pray that you would protect them. And Father, somehow let your people reach to them to be grace and mercy and safety. And most of all, Jesus. Father, for the burdens that are on our hearts and minds, whether it would be about ourselves or about others, in this moment of silence, hear all of our prayers. Father, we place all of these concerns into your hands. And we know that you hear us. And we know that you are at work. Give us courage to trust you. Thank you, Father, for hearing all of our prayers. Thank you for being with us as we live out our prayers. We offer them in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who was born, lives, dies, rises again, and is even now interceding for us as he awaits your timing for his return. And the one who leaves, leaves us this insightful and encompassing model for prayer that we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. 
and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Testament reading is from Colossians 4, verses 2 to 15. Colossians 4. Again, I'm reading from the TNIV. Letter from a missionary to a church he loves. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of God for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may come to know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. This is the word of the Lord.
Father, help us to love you more and more. And may our love be expressed as we listen to you, as we continue in worship of you. And we ask this through Christ Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. There's so many facets to the concept of prayer. We praise God for who he is. We give thanks to God for what he's done. We confess our sin to God because he calls us and says that he loves to forgive us. We pray sometimes with loud shouts and music and sometimes we pray in quiet and silence. There are all kinds of ways in which we pray. And if you, if you go to the prayer room, if you haven't been there, you will find that there are many ways to help us pray. Many facets of prayer in which we are, can be engaged through various tactile types of things or different prayer guides or just all kinds of ways. And they're all good and helpful and, and, and they're important as a part of our prayer life. I suspect that when we hear the word prayer, most of us probably think about praying to God, asking God to do something. It's one, you know, when we think about prayer, it's typically, uh, God, get me out of this fix kind of thing, right? We're stuck and we don't know what to do. The path ahead looks dark and we don't know which way to go. We're in a problem, and, and we, need, we need help out of it. And, and there is absolutely nothing wrong with those kinds of prayers. In fact, the, the Scriptures tell us again and again and again that God wants us to come to Him, to ask and seek and knock, and, and to pour out our hearts to Him and to ask Him to help us. It is an important part of praying, and it ought to be a part of all of our lives as we pray. But there is another kind of praying that I think we do to some extent. But I think it's a kind of praying that probably, when push comes to shove, tends to get left on the periphery. Or at the very least, we don't engage in it in the way that I think Scripture is calling us to. And this is simply praying for other people. It's what we call intercession, where we, we pray for others. And when we typically think of, of intercession, we think of saying words for other people. And words are an important part of that. But when we read the scriptures, we find that there is something more involved in intercession than we typically imagine. The word intercession means to stand between and, and it, is, it is in this standing between that we, we truly engage in, in this concept of intercessory prayer. It's what Ezekiel calls standing in the gap. And it's what we see Moses doing here in Numbers 14. 
You know, the, the people of Israel have come out of Egypt. God has rescued them, all these miraculous things. And now they're, they're poised to go into the land of Canaan that they've been looking for for hundreds of years. And when the spies come back, they say to the people, this land is amazing, but there's also giants and fortified cities. I don't think we should do it. And all the people agree, and they rise up with one voice and say, God, what are you doing to us? Why did you bring us here? We were better off in Egypt. In fact, let's just go back to Egypt. And Moses, we don't know what to do with you. Maybe we'll stone you to death. You know, that they, they are upset, and, and they're turning on God. And the, the presence of God appears at the tent of meeting, the place of worship. And he calls Moses in, and he says, Moses, I've had it up to here with these people. I have done so much for them. I have done miraculous things. I've rescued them over and over and over. I have done things for them. And what do I get in return? Rebellion. Here's my plan. I'm going to wipe them out, and I'm going to start over with you. Now, if that were me, I think I might be saying, really? You want to build a nation out of me? I get to be the top dog? Okay, let's do it. But not Moses. Instead, I have this image of Moses standing in front of all the people gathered and stretching his arms as wide as he can to cover them and saying, God, remember who you are. Remember that you are a God who is slow to anger and abounding in love. Forgive them. And in that prayer, Moses is being an intercessor. He's standing between these rebellious, sinful people and God and pleading with God for them. He's putting himself on the line for these people. You see the same thing happening in 1 Samuel 14. Saul and the Israelite army are are attacking the Philistines and, and the defeat is getting close and they're winning the battle. And Saul makes a decree, a vow. He says, no one is to eat anything until we've completely defeated the Philistine army. And if anybody does, they're gonna die. His son Jonathan doesn't hear this. So Jonathan's out fighting and, and winning some battles and he gets hungry, he's tired. So he finds a, a beehive with some honey in it and he re refreshes himself with that. When, they get, when the battle's over and they win, they all get together and Saul knows someone has, has desecrated the vow and the lot falls to his son Jonathan and he's ready to take him out. I mean, a vow's a vow. You make a vow, you have to fulfill it. And the members of the army come and they stand between Saul and Jonathan and they say to him, no. You cannot do this to Jonathan because what he accomplished today was in the power of God. He was in the spirit of God in this battle, and this is not going to happen. Intercessor. And when we read the scriptures, the Old Testament and on into the New Testament, God says to his people, I'm going to make you not just a kingdom, I'm going to make you a kingdom of priests. And priests are people who stand between. They stand between God and the people and they intercede. They represent the people to God and God to the people. And God says to the children of Israel and in the New Testament to the church, you're my kingdom of priests. 
And one of your roles in this world is to be intercessors. This is what the body of Christ does. This is what my children, my people do. You pray for others. You stand between. You stand in the gap. Now here's the hard part about that. You can't really stand in the gap for people until you are willing to identify with their pain. I mean, how much are we really praying for people if we really don't care that much about what happens to them? And being a biblical intercessor means we are willing to identify with the pain that people are feeling. We're willing to identify with whatever stuff people are going through. We're willing even to identify with the sin that people are engaging in as a means of taking it on ourselves identifying with them. That's hard. We like living comfortable lives. We don't like feeling that, you know, we have to take, we have enough pain ourselves. We don't want to take on what other people are dealing with. But that's what intercessors do. The heart of intercession is identifying with people. It's feeling their pain. If we say we love people, but we don't love them enough to feel their pain, do we really love them? Do we really care about them? Are they really important to us? Being an intercessor means that we take on the pain and the struggles of whatever else people are dealing with. And wherever they are in life, we take it on ourselves in every way that we can in order to take the weight off of them. We identify with them. We let them know that something in us feels the pain and whatever they're going through too. I read about a man who who grew up in a very conservative evangelical church. So he was a little bit surprised himself when he became very burdened for people who were dying with AIDS. He had grown up in a, in a in a congregation where people who had AIDS were looked down upon, were condemned, and where a lot of people that he knew would probably look at them and say, well, hey, you're just getting what you deserve. But God began to stir in his heart a compassion for people who were dying of AIDS. And he sensed God saying to him, to him I want you to go to these people and just sit with them. Read to them, listen to them, Love them. Try to do everything you can to take their pain onto yourself. And that's what he did. And he didn't, he wasn't able to report lots of conversions. He wasn't able to see the results of that in what he was doing. But in some ways, that was immaterial. He simply did what God asked him to do and he did everything he could do to feel the pain of these people who were dying of AIDS. See, our calling isn't to assault people with Christ. Our calling is to bear their burdens. To take upon ourselves what they are feeling and the weight that they are carrying because we love them. We care about them. We stand between people and Yahweh. 
If you're going to identify with people, you can't do that cautiously. You know, it's risky. It's going to be painful. It's going to mean stepping out of what feels comfortable and easy for us. And in many ways, it's, it's one of the definitions, I, I think, of holy living. That God has so filled us with his spirit, and he's changed our hearts toward other people, particularly people that we might avoid or disagree with or, or want to, to push to the periphery of life. And God has so worked in us that we actually feel a burden for them. That, that's holiness. You think about Jesus dying on the cross. This is the ultimate expression of being an intercessor. He didn't just take our punishment upon him. He took our sin upon him. Isaiah 53 says that the Messiah was numbered with the transgressors. So you line up all the people and you say, okay, everybody who sinned, raise your hand. There's Jesus. Not because he sinned, but because he took our sin upon himself. And he felt the weight of that and the guilt of that and the pain of that. Even to the point of feeling as though he'd been cut off from his father. Because he took that upon himself. And we may not be called to give our lives as intercessors with people, but we will be called to sacrifice something. Because that's what intercessors do. How can we say that we care about people and we love them and we're really praying for them if it doesn't cost us anything? And it might cost us time. So instead of praying 30 seconds for someone, maybe we pray 30 minutes for someone. And for some of us, that may be the only thing we really are capable of doing at the point of our lives. But for others, it will be more than just praying, as important as that is. In fact, it is in the praying for people that God will often speak to us about what else we need to do, a letter we need to write, or a visit we need to make, or just being present with people as God leads us and directs us. There's something inside of us that cares so much about people that it grows out of us and we begin to develop a heart that looks like Christ. John Wesley used to talk about there's no holiness but social holiness. And that phrase has been sort of captured by us, by some in the church who have made that to mean that the only thing that, that being holy means caring about people's social needs. And, and that's certainly important. The scriptures are clear, and God says to his, his people over and over again that we need to care about people who are in need, people who are vulnerable, people who are poor, people who don't have a voice in society. We ought to be their voice. And the scriptures are very clear about that, but that's not really what John Wesley meant. He was using this in, in response to people who said, I, I am most holy when I'm on my own, by myself, cloistered away. When I can get away from people and get away from the world, then I can be holy. And the goal of life was to get away from other people. The goal of life was to remove ourselves from the problems of the world. Then I could be holy. And Wesley said, there is no such thing like that. 
Now we get away in order for God to work in us and God to speak to us so we can hear him. But that's not the end of it. That's the means to then send us into the world to be holy people and to care about people and to be present with people and to love them and to hurt with them and to stand in the gap for them. That's holiness. That's holy living. And so that means we're going to need to know what's going on in the world. We're going to need to understand the things that are happening. And honestly, I would rather not most of the time. I don't want to hear about the millions of people in Africa who live in refugee camps. I don't want to hear about another suicide bomber that killed hundreds of innocent people in a market. I don't want to hear about famine and drought I want to just close the world outside of me and just live in my comfortable shell. But that's not Christ in me. That's me in me. And the call of Christ on our lives is to be in the world and to care about the world the way God does. That's really what it comes down to in being an intercessor. It is seeing the world the way God sees the world. And it's loving the world the way God loves the world and caring about the world the way God cares about the world. So that when we pray for people, they're not just words that we speak, but it's, the broken, it's a broken heart that creates the words that we speak and leads us to care so much that we identify and we're involved and we're willing to sacrifice whatever we can to stand in the gap. This is a hard thing for any of us. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit in our hearts, in our lives, changing us, making us into the image of Christ, teaching us, filling us. It's only when we begin to recognize that Christ, it is Christ's intercession for us, his ultimate intercession on the cross and his continual intercession now before the Father. It's only because of that that any of us are here in the first place. It's only because of the grace of God to us that we have any opportunity to be people who might extend the grace of God to others. Rob Bell's book, Love Wins, has, has generated a lot of con- controversy, conversation over the past year or so. When I read it, there were some things that I agreed with. There were some things that made me nervous. A few months ago, I was talking with someone about that book, and they asked me a question. I said, what if, what if everybody does get into heaven? He said, I don't, I'm not saying that that's right, that's the way it is, but hypothetically, what if God in his, in his perfect sovereignty finds a way for everyone to legitimately get into heaven? How would we respond to that? I have to admit, there's a part of me that wants to say, that's not fair. Look at everything I've done and everything I've given up and everything I've sacrificed. That's not fair. 
And I realized that my answer belies an attitude and a judgmental spirit that says, I, I have more in me that gets me into heaven than other people do. I'm more worthy to be in a relationship with Christ than other people are. And no wonder we wrestle with being biblical intercessors. The Pharisees could never be intercessors like this because they look at everyone else and say, we're better than you. Why would we care about you? And that haunts me because I don't want to be a Pharisee. I don't want to have the mindset of of a Pharisee. I want to have the mindset of Christ and of his disciples who sacrificed even their lives to stand in the gap for people. But the most natural thing in the world is for us to judge people rather than love people. The most natural thing for us in the world is for us to say, how can I protect myself instead of how can I risk The most natural thing in the world is for me to close everyone off so that I'm safe instead of opening myself up and to be vulnerable. But being a biblical intercessor means being vulnerable. As Moses is standing before the people, he could have been the first one to take whatever God was going to give them but he was willing to take that risk because he loved these people so much, as undeserving as they were. He loved loved them. And he was willing to stand in the gap for them. It's costly and it's risky, but it's the call of God. The book Red Moon Rising has really had a huge impact on my life. It was this book that first got me thinking about 24-7 prayer vigils and and creating an atmosphere as a congregation where we might enhance, uh, be people who really cared about praying. And it was was so motivational to me. I've read it four or five times. And in this book, he tells the story of a guy named Paul, whom he describes as a large guy with long, matty hair and, and large flares in his arms, huge muscles. So they were having this gathering, a prayer gathering, and people were standing up and they were sharing. And and Paul stood up and he said, my sister has anorexia. She is 26 years old and she weighs 70 pounds. She's also developed arthritis so bad that she can't dress herself and she can't straighten her hand. She, it seems like she is developing diabetes and she is moving into menopause 20 years too early. She said everything about her life is falling apart. She's not a Christian. She's just been robbed of everything, her womanhood, her dignity, her life. He said, I have a confession to make to you. I don't pray for my sister. He said, I've asked myself, why? He said, is it because I don't care about her? 
No, I care deeply about her. Is it because I don't believe in prayer? No, I, I, I believe with all of my heart in the power of prayer. He said, I have come to believe and understand that the reason I don't pray for her is because it's too painful. Because if I have to pray for her, then I have to think about what she's going through. And I have to feel that pain that she's feeling. And it's just too hard. I want to act like it's not there. I want to live in denial and just pretend that none of this is happening. But God is speaking to me about that. And he said, God is challenging me to feel my sister's pain because that's what it means to truly intercede. And I believe that beyond that, God is calling us to feel the pain of this world, to move from praying for people from our comfortable places to interceding with people in the pain and the agony of their lives. He said, I'm just wondering if we're going to allow the things that break God's heart to break our hearts. It'll mean more tears and more listening. It may even be the reason why so many of us struggle with our own personal burdens and heartaches because God's allowing us to feel the pain, to be weak and broken so our prayers have more power. He said intercession means weeping for the earthquake victims in the news right now. And for the anorexics and the drug abusers and the sexually abused and the friends who don't know Jesus. And God says if we will stand in the gap in this way, bridging the ravine between a hurting generation and our healing God, we will see a breakthrough, a new level of effectiveness in prayer. There will be power in our pain. A lot of the people who were listening to Paul talk put their heads down and averted their eyes from his gaze, and he noticed that. And he said, this is a tough word, isn't it? We're so often told to trust Jesus for a problem-free existence. But what if the call to pray is a call to bleed as much as it is to be blessed? Maybe we'll run out of words in the prayer room and all we'll be able to do is to express in the spirit with groans and agonies that only the spirit can pray for us. And maybe our passion will consume us until we begin to actually live out our prayers in practical action. Interceding for people isn't trying to convince God to do something that he doesn't want to do. It's simply answering God's call to be involved, to have the privilege of being involved in what God wants to do in this world. It's about representing Christ to people who don't know Christ. It's about being the hands and the feet of Christ to people who feel that he's no longer present. It's about caring for people enough that, yes, our hearts will will be broken. We're going to sacrifice. That's what it's about. 
But we know God blesses sacrifice. And God uses sacrifice. And we do it because we know what Christ has done for us. It's the most natural thing in the world to want to represent him to others. We can't intercede like this for everyone or about everything. But I suspect God is calling us to more than what's typical. To to pray more than we typically pray. To do more than we typically do. To hurt more than we typically hurt. And certainly to love more than we typically love. Are we willing to let God get so into us that we stand in the gap for whomever he calls us to in whatever way he leads us to because Christ stood in the gap for us and he continues to do so. Please pray with me. I'd like for us just to take a moment and think about a person or a group of people, maybe a cause that represents people, to ask God to put someone or a group of people, something into our minds. that person or those people in your mind. Ask God to to begin helping you feel their pain. To begin identifying with them in a way that's completely different than how you might have identified with them before. Now ask God to help you be an intercessor for them and to show you how he would like for you to do that. It might be an extended time of praying where you give up something else you want to do. It might be some other kind of of action. But ask him to show you the first step to being an intercessor for that person or that group of people.
Father, this is a hard word for us. And yet, there is a level of of joy that comes from being so engaged with you that your heart becomes ours. Father, give us grace through Christ to be the intercessors that you've called us to be. And we ask this through Christ, in his power, in his grace. Amen. This afternoon, in this 5 to 5.30 time period, we're going to actually be part of that, a large part of that, we'll be praying for each other about being intercessors. That we can help each other. Praying for each other as we follow God's call and leading. And that we as a church, as a whole, will be a place where this kind of intercession is natural in common because we want our hearts to be so filled with the heart of Christ. I invite you now to stand and take your hymnals as we sing together. Hymn number 434 about God's love for in our hearts for each other and for others.
receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you.